book of Romans here this morning, Romans chapter 13, in our series called Made Right. And I share that with you every week because I can't make myself right, nor can you. Jesus came from heaven to earth, died upon a cross and rose three days later so we could be made right with God. Amen. And uh, we do that as we open our hearts to him and receive him as both the Savior and the Lord of our life and to walk with him. And uh, we'll read this morning in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through 14. And I titled this morning's message, Eternally Indebted. You know, we talk so much about getting out of debt, right? And that's a good thing. But Paul also talks about us being eternally indebted as well. And that's kind of what we're going to focus in on here this morning. So we're going to read Romans 13, 8 through 14. I'm reading this from the NLT translation. I, my hope, my prayer for you, whatever translation you use, I was talking with Jason about this last week. You know, it's not, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll tell you, I'll say, hey, the best translation is the one that you'll read. And that is true, but there's even a better truth. And I think you would agree. The best translation is the one that you would read and obey. Would you agree? Yeah, it's not that we just hear the word, but that you go, hey, you know, whatever, whatever translation you like, I hope that what you're doing is you're reading it and you're setting out to obey it. Uh, that is the bottom line. That's one of the reasons that I love the NLT because I found that it helps many people who don't really understand a lot of the complexities of the scriptures. When they read this translation, it seems to help them make more sense of it, which is the greatest a desire I can have as a pastor is that you would you would enjoy it and it would speak to you and then you'd go oh I get what it's saying now I can do it because I think that's the ultimate for all of our lives that we wouldn't just be hearers but that we'd be doers amen so we'll read this together starting in verse 8 through 14 and then we'll pray and Paul writes this he says owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Kind of describes the day in which we live, doesn't it, pretty well? It says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for these that are here today and those that are watching online. Uh, Lord, I thank you for um, just those that reach out through the course of the week and, and, and ask for prayer. And just as Freddie uh, Vasquez was asking for prayer for his wife this morning, just not feeling well for he and himself, we do. We lift them to you. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And thank you. I just As I was writing about that this week in Mark 2, 
when the paralytic was dropped through the, the roof of a house to Jesus and you healed the paralytic and it wasn't even because of the faith of the paralytic, you healed him because of the faith of his friends. What an encouragement to us, Lord, to be able to pray for each other, to know that, Lord, even when our friends are too sick or they're too tired, they're worn out or just they're beat down from life and depressed, that, God, we can lift them to you and you listen and you care and you love and you do heal. And so we pray that for our friends uh, everywhere today, that you would just remind us even now as we're praying to think about those that need you and need a touch from you and lift them to you. Believing in faith that, God, you're a God that not just hears, but you are a God that heals. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, we invite you to speak to us. We pray that, Lord, again, we don't want to just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers of it. So, Lord, we open our, our hearts and our minds to you. We ask you to speak to us now. We give you all the praise and the glory as we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. So, you know, when you read, you know, verses 8 through 14 here in Romans 13, you know, I'm reminded that there's an old saying, most of us are familiar with this. I think it was even on bumper stickers. It said, Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. And I owed a debt that I could not pay. You remember hearing that? And it's so true, you know, in this, and in, in this, this, these verses here really deal about, you know, the concept of debt, you know, it's not just monetary debt, the spiritual debt as well. Um, as we, we enter this last section, if you haven't been with us, you know, you can take the book of Romans and kind of divide it into four really simple sections that obviously before you can have good news, you got to know what the bad news is, right? And, and so the first, you know, section one through three deals with uh, the wrath of God and why God is going to judge the world, you know, one day and why the world sits in judgment even today before God. And then it moves into the grace of God. And that's what, you know, for the wages of sin is death. But he said, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So then he moves on into the grace of God. And then from there, he deals with the plan of God. You know, that when God saves you, there's a purpose and there's a plan for your life. And in fulfilling that plan, God has a will. And that's what started in chapter 12. And it's the thing that I want to encourage you with today. You know, as you're, as you're reading the Bible and you're studying it, you know, people ask all the time, they go, Pastor Mike, I'm just trying to discover the will of God for my life. And I'm going, great. Just focus on Romans chapters 12 through 16. Those, that will help you. That really deals with God's will, you know, what he desires, you know, for us. And so we've been looking at that, you know, over the last, like I said, few weeks. If you go back to, you know, chapter 12, that's always the kickstart for everything, is to fulfill the will of God, we need to what? present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice that I'm not longer living for myself. You're not living for yourself, but we're going to live for God. And in doing that, you know, then God begins to reveal to us, you know, what his will is for our life. And part of that will, where it began, he started in Romans 12 was to understand the gifts that God has given you. You know, you've been endowed as a believer with, with certain spiritual gifts and he continues to give gifts. It wasn't past tense. He gave you something in the past, but he continues to bless us with gifts. So he says, seek earnestly the greater gifts. And so whatever we say, what is the greater gift? And you go, whatever the gift is that's needed in the moment. Amen. And that changes from day to day, from, from week to week, from year to year. And then he moved into the aspects of love and that love that starts within the church the love that we have for one another. And then that love that went to those that are just outside the church. Maybe they, we didn't attend church. They're not believers, but how are we to love them? And then he moves even further. Probably the most difficult area was how do you love your enemies? And he's talking about his will and how we go about these things. And then 
he leaped into chapter 13 and he talked about our responsibility towards government and and that's where we left off last time and it's you know it's such an important you know thing for us to you know to realize you know that uh, God has a will in, in our lives and how we will live our lives out this side of heaven to be a witness, not only, you know, to the world around us, but remember when Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, you know, um, you'll be witnesses. He said unto me in both Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, you know, there in, in the book of Acts. And so our true witness isn't really for someone else. It's really to the Lord himself. It's, it's living you might say in plain to an audience of one. And that in one sense makes life so much easier because, you know, if you've tried to please people, you've, you've discovered pretty quickly, right? You, if you try to please everybody, you end up what? Pleasing nobody. Yeah, it's, it's a very difficult thing, but you can please the Lord. And that's why he becomes our focus. And when we do that, uh, one of the great blessings of that is we become a blessing then to other people. And so, as I shared, you know, we, we looked at how we would live in relationship to our government and how we we're supposed to do that, to seek to live peaceable lives, you know, before all men, and then to pay our taxes as well. And, you know, again, Paul, you know, he moves, you know, then from here in how we relate to the state, and then how do we relate to people in general with regard to our daily lives. And there in verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. And again, you ever feel like people don't care about you? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you ever want to get people to care about you, I, I, have, I was thinking about this this week. This would be the best way that I could tell you. If you go, Pastor Mike, I don't think anybody cares about me. I go, you want to know how to get them to care about you? Borrow money from them. Okay. <laughs> Because as soon as you don't pay it back, what are they going to do? They're going to call you. Are you okay? Are you okay? Whoa, I was just checking on you. Why? Well, you know, no, it, it, it really is true. So Paul here in verse eight, you know, he says, don't owe anybody. And he's not talking about, you know, um, a debt that can be fully paid. Um, you know, because obviously there is those kind of debts. He's talking about a debt, and this is where I got the title from, a debt that can never be repaid, which is love. We can never pay back love. We are to be internally indebted to love. You know, Jesus said that all the commandments, right, of Moses are summed up in what? He says here, in the fulfillment of the law, love is the fulfillment of God's law. And, you know, as you look at this and it plays out, you know, like I said, we're all, we're all citizens within the state and we have debts, like I said, to the government and we can, and we can pay those. Um, but then there's debts that we have. Like Paul said in Romans chapter one, verses 14 and 15, he said, I'm a debtor. So he didn't, he's not saying don't have debt. He says, I'm a debtor to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. But he answers what kind of debt? He says in verse 15 in chapter one, he says, so as much as with me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul knew because Jesus loved him and saved him that he had a debt. And that was to share that love that Jesus had for him with those that hadn't heard it yet. And that's the same debt that you and I have. There's a whole world out there. There's people in your life, my life, that have yet to hear the gospel. And if not me, and if not you, then who? Romans chapter eight, if you recall, as we read this, Paul says this, he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, 
to live according to the flesh. So he's talking about a spiritual truth again, but we're no longer debtors to our flesh, but we are a debtor to what? The Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, there's no condemnation for them that are now what? In Christ Jesus, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but what? According to the Spirit. Trusting, you know, God, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Then in, there in, in Romans 13, 8, he says, owe nothing to anyone except, except. So he's not talking about that. No, I don't, I can't have any debt for your obligation to love one another. And again, and, and it's so important, you know, to make sure that we say this because there, there's so many that actually oppose this. He's not saying that it's a command that you should not take on debt. Okay. You really probably, for the most part, could not function within our society without some sort of debt. We live in a credit-based society, which, in, in, in truth, they did also you know, throughout Jewish history as well. You can go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Just read Exodus chapter 22, and you can see the relationship to debt and how uh, people were supposed to treat one another with regard to it. When they couldn't pay back a debt, they could become a slave for a period of time. You know, we think about the seven years. You think about even if you file bankruptcy, you know, even in our own society, that comes from Jewish law. That, you know, there's the, the year of Jubilee, there's the year of forgiveness. You know, if you had a debt, it gets canceled out. You know, the number seven being the number of perfection. There's just all these things that are so tied to a Judeo-Christian ethic that we see in Scripture, and especially with regard to debt. But what Paul is talking about here, that word debt in the Greek language, in the original, it, it, it's in the present tense. And what that means is don't keep owing. So like if you go to buy a house, you know, they'll put down on there, it'll put, do you want a 30-year loan or what? A 15-year loan or you know, maybe a 10-year loan or a five-year loan. And you look at that five-year and you go, man, I wish I could pay it off in five years. So you click the button, right? And your payment is what? You know, it's like $12,000, you know, and you go, oh. So you go click on the 30-year on the one and your payment's what? $1,500. You go, I can live with that one. And you go, yeah, for 30 years. And they go, what if you could just pay $300 more a month? Then you click on the 15 year one, right? And you go, honey, you think we can do it? And then we always do this, right? I'm, not, I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for anybody else that can even relate to this. Lee and I would look at it. We go, well, let's just put down 30 years and we'll try to pay extra. <laughs> sure. That goes over really well, right? Oh, we don't have it this month. Decided we wanted to go here, you know, and the next thing you know, you've got a 30-year a loan. And then they send you stuff, at least back when it used to be called Kern Schools. And they go, we have the Christmas program. You can skip your house payment. And we're like, oh my gosh, we got three little kids, right? My wife, I'm the only one working. My wife is, you know, she's working harder than I am. She's a stay-at-home mom with three kids, five and under, right? So, yeah, okay, well, let's just put the, yeah, well, they didn't tell you in that little letter. What did they do with the loan? They put it on the back of the loan. And what did that do to the interest? It just went up. So they're going, Merry Christmas, Mr. Ostheimer. You can borrow $1,500. And guess what? Now, instead of paying back $1,800 like you were going, you're going to pay back $2,400. <laughs> yeah. Whole bunch of scripture that talks about that. But, but what Paul's saying is don't keep owing. One of the funniest things I heard, one of my favorite pastors, he was telling this story. I'd never heard this before. He's of the Lord's prayer. And I've studied things about the Lord's prayer. He said, you know that they used to twist the Lord's prayer. And in the early church, 
because they would get in debt, right? They would get extended beyond themselves. Well, there, somebody twisted around like this. Talk about taking scripture and twisting it. They said, you know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Yes. And then they took that as God forgave it. They didn't have to pay it because they went to God. Wouldn't that be so awesome? You go, man, I'm sorry. I'd like to pay you. But you know, yesterday I just, I tap, tap, double racy. I prayed to Jesus and I said, father, forgive me my debt. I can't pay this anymore. And guess what? Jesus loves me this. And he forgave me. So guess what? I mean, can you, that's pretty convoluted. Wouldn't you agree? But people would pray that, that they'd look at the scripture that way. And they go, oh, that, that's what it, that's what it meant. You know, scripture doesn't forbid using credit or having credit cards. Let me just read this one to you. Exodus 22, 25. Obviously, this is baked into it. You can, you can hear it for yourself. It says, if you lend money. So what is God presupposing here? If you lend money. Some people are going to lend money. Now I want to help you. How many have ever loaned money to somebody? Raise your hand. Okay. I was going to ask, how many have loaned money to me? I don't, I don't want to know that because I probably forgot what I'm about to tell you. No. Here's the thing. Don't worry about loaning money. Loaning money to people is not bad. Here's what's bad. Don't miss this. Please don't miss. You might want to write this down. This will save you a lot of hurt and a lot of headache and a lot of heartache when it comes to loaning money. Okay. Only loan money what? If you don't expect to get it back. Yes. If you're okay with when you just think about that, when you go to loan somebody money, because you know, you could just say, Hey, I'm just going to give it to you. Why? Because you'll feel better about it. Cause you go, then that way I don't have to hate you for not giving it back to me. But you just go, you know what? If I give them this money, can I, can I live without it? Because there's a good chance that you are going to live without it. And unfortunately, what people do, like, they'll go, man, I don't have any money. They'll go to somebody who doesn't have any money and they go, hey, can you help me? And what are you doing for them? You're taking it right out of their mouth. They can't pay their, you know, and it just goes from bad to worse. And it really can become a terrible thing that, you know, divides friends and divides family. Um, but, you know, obviously the Lord says, if you lend money to any of my people, Exodus 22, 25, who are in need, do not charge interest as money a money lender would doing. So there obviously were people who there was, you know, sharks back in the, the day there, even in Israel who would loan money, but they did it, you know, uh, for a large amount of money. Uh, again, he's, he's saying, just don't overcharge them. You can charge interest, you know, just like the bank does, uh, but don't overcharge them. Remember in Matthew 21, 12 and 13, it says Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people that were buying and selling animals for sacrifice as he knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called the house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And what were they doing? It wasn't that they, they were selling, you know, doves for the sacrifice they were charging them an exorbitant amount of money because why? Because they came from hundreds, if not thousands of miles back to the temple to offer a sacrifice. And so they knew it. And so they charged them more. It's the difference between, you know, shopping at Seven Eleven or, you know, at a large grocery store, you know, the little convenience store. Do you pay for convenience? Yes. 
And they, and they get that. I, I see stuff on social media all the time. I mean, I went to the convenience store the other day, and they wanted $8 for a gallon of milk. And I just love how people help them. You know, they go, well, if, if you don't like the convenience of going, you know, next door to your house, then get in your car and drive the three miles at $8 a gallon of gas and pay $4.25, you know. So they, they go, oh, okay. You go, there is a cost for convenience. And that's been that way since, you know, the beginning of time. But yet to understand here in scripture, you know, it's not forbidding debt. You know, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 42 says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So Jesus himself isn't even forbidding, but we do need to keep this in mind. Proverbs 22, seven just says, just as the rich rule over the poor. So the borrower is what? Servant to the le to the lender. Yeah. So that's what you become. You become a servant to the lender. And, and trust me in this, the bank doesn't ever want you to pay off your debt. They don't want your house. They don't want your car. They want your money. You know, sometimes people, they, they just want my house. No, they don't want your house. They like the money every month. They like the interest that comes in. That's, that's why they're called a bank. They're not trying to be in the real estate business. They don't want it. They're in the slavery business. I mean, in the truest sense, they, they want you, not your home. Because if they have you, you're going to get debt in all kinds of different areas. And that's what they want. They want the interest there, okay? So when they send you a cup at Christmas time or a pin or a calendar, that's not because they love you, okay? You paid for that calendar. You paid for that cup. You paid for that pin. Every time you take one, when you go through the drive-thru, you don't think, you go, oh, I got a pin from the bank. It's your pin. If you don't take it with you, you just left your pin for the next car behind you. There's some way to look at it. So if you don't get anything else out of church today, maybe you get a pin. Okay, that's it. I love that expression. I can't remember who said it, but it said, he said, it was, it was an old theologian. He said, creditors have better memories than borrowers. That's true. So, so true. You know, number one reason, you know, I, when I talk to, you know, kids that come in for premarital counseling, you know, the number one reason that most marriages fail is, has something to do with finance. It's just the stress and the strain is just too much, you know, for, for us to bear. That, the Greek word for greed, it means to overextend yourself. Just things to think about, you know, you know, cause we live in a world that is always bigger and better. You know, what iPhone is out now? There's the, what is it? 14. Yeah. And, and you know what they do is, you know, I don't know how many years it is, but it's like by the fifth year, I was talking to somebody who worked at the phone company. They said that within on an iPhone, especially uh, five years, that phone becomes obsolete cause they can just turn it down where the new, uh, um, updates, you know, that you have to get on the phone. It won't work on an old phone. So you're literally forced to buy a new phone. If you have an Apple product and you see a lot of people moving away from Apple products for that very reason, um, you know, they're going to own you with that. And that's what they want. That's how they guarantee new business all the time. You know, Philippians 4, 19, we need to keep in mind, you know, as we think about these things this morning, Paul would write to the church in Philippi there. He said, my God shall supply all of your needs by his riches and glory. You know, Paul's saying, oh, nobody except, except, there in verse 8. You know, I love what the, the NIV translation, how it translates Romans 13, 8. It says, listen to this, says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
You know, I don't know about you. I don't like checking out of a store. And when I check out of the store, if you use a credit card, does it have a prompting that comes up that says, would you like to donate to this cause? And then it puts a whole bunch of dollar amounts down there. And you have to tell it no, right? I mean, and, and they know their guilt. It's called guilt giving, right? That you're, you know, do you really want the dogs to be outside in the cold in the wintertime? I go, it's a dog. I go, I have a dog and my dog's in the house. I go, and she begs to go outside and lay in the water. Yes, the dog can go out there and let's, you know, but, but they do. And every store you go to, it's whatever cause they're into, right? It's not the causes I'm into, but I want you to think about this because it can be the wrong attitude. And I'm saying for myself, because I'll do that. When they used to have to ask you, right? They would say, would you like to give to, and then they'd take it and they'd write it like in front of you, right? And whatever your amount was and they, the grocery store and they would stick them up all over the store. You remember seeing those? Yeah. And then people, they even had bells on some of them, right? And if you gave, they rang the bell. And it was like Jesus going, it's like the, the money changer. Hey, look at, you know, they're dropping their money in the trumpet. You know, hey, look how much I give, you know? And, and I'd go, oh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like, I, mean, I would say this. I'd go, because, you know, I'm a pastor. I'd go, I'd give at my church. Does anybody else ever say that when they would ask? And then I'm reading this this week and, and you ever have God convict you of things that were from a long time ago? You thought that was like under the bridge, right? You're going, it's no big deal. And God brings it back up, right? It's like, I'm thinking about this. And so as I'm studying through this this week, I'm going, oh man, I remember being at the Albertsons when we lived over on the other side of town. And the lady would ask me all the time, ma'am, I give to my church. I give to my church. She's looking at me, but what about the... I give to my church. What a great testimony that is, right? But I'm thinking at the time, I go, well, I'm trying to tell her that I give, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm I give, I give already. I'm just, you know, but Paul isn't saying, you know, that how we should, how we should move forward with this is that, you know, again, <laughs> that shouldn't be my out. I shouldn't be able to say, well, I give, I give, you know, at my church. Like that's where I, that's where I do my giving. The rest of my life is mine, right? I get to choose, you know, what I do. And I have quotes here in my notes as, you know, love stays with us and forever we owe. You know, that's what Paul's saying. We owe forever. Wherever we go, we owe. Jesus said it best, you know, John 13, 35. He said, by this, all men will know you're my, my disciples because what? Because you have what? Love. One for another. So it's not just, yeah, I give it my church, you know. It's just, where's their need, right? Who's my neighbor? Who, who needs help? And that, that means prayer. That doesn't mean, am I supposed to give to everything? No. No, that's the beauty of it is what do we do? That we're spirit-led, that we're praying. You know, people go, what would Jesus do? I don't know what Jesus would do. He's not here. He lived on this earth for three years, right? Three and a half years. And he had a purpose and God had a will for his life. Guess what? You're alive today. And you're here and the Holy Spirit lives in you. So the same way that Jesus prayed when he was here, you and I can pray. We, we kind of put it off on Jesus. Well, what would Jesus do? I don't know. Ask him. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to dialogue with him. It's not just, you know, like it's written down 10 things that we were supposed to do. It's like, no, pray. Today, maybe he wants you to give to that. Maybe tomorrow he doesn't. That's the beauty of having a living relationship with God. I mean, every time you went to your parents and you asked them for something, did they give it to you? Did they give it to you sometimes? Please say yes. <laughs> yeah, no? Okay. Come see me later. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but you go, they, but they, they're parents, right? If they looked at something, they went, that's good, I'll give it to you. No, I'm not going to give it to you this time. You go, okay, well, God our Father is the same way. If, if it's not going to harm us and it'll help us, does he give us things? Yes. And if he thinks it's going to hurt us or harm us, I don't think he thinks, he knows, he withholds it. But it's not because he doesn't love us, it's because he does love us, amen? And it's just having that, that confidence, you know, in our relationship, you know, with God. You know, we, we think about, you know, loving people. You know, it's not easier to love Christians if you've discovered that to be true. People go, oh, it's easy to love. No, no, it isn't. Why? Well, I think Paul answered it in Romans. For all have what? Sinned. And what? Fallen short of the glory of God. We're sinners saved by grace. And, and I love this when Paul talks about the word one another there, especially when you, you break it down into the original language. He uses two different words for the word one another. He first uses it in the sense of you ought to love people who are like you. That could be our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then to love one another, he uses another word. He extends it as to love people who are different, of a different kind, meaning people that aren't like you, people that are outside the body of Christ. You know, I love that expression, you know, true love never stabs you in the back, it stabs you in the heart. And you go, what does that mean? Well, Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, your friends tell you the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. Where an enemy might just seek to flatter you in order to get something from you. Speak the truth in love. That's what the Bible says. So when we think about love, it's not just this emotional, you know, gooey, you know, just, you know, just, yes, just love them. It's like, no, sometimes there's, it involves tough love. Verse nine goes on. It says "For it says the commandments say you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this gets really convoluted by people because loving ourselves isn't the problem here. See, people make this three commandments, you know. They see, you know, loving God first and loving their neighbor. But they go, oh, but in order to do that, and, and, and I mean this in all sincerity, it seems almost like it's, it's a joke or I'm trying to be funny, and I'm not. It, many churches today will teach that in order for you to love God, and for you to love people, you first have to love yourself. And they'll hold classes, they do, I mean, series on how to love yourself better and how to love yourself more so that you could make more room in your big old heart to love God more and to love people more. And that, there, you couldn't find me one passage of scripture, one that says that is true. No, God already knows. He's, he created us. We already have the capacity to love ourselves. Our problem is we love ourselves what? Too much. And we're not willing to sacrifice for other people. So the Bible is just saying what you should do is love other people the way that you what? Love yourself. Give other people the same consideration that you give yourself. What do we say? I judge you by your actions, but I judge myself by my what? intentions. Yeah. I know my heart. No, that's what the Bible says. You don't know your heart. I don't know my heart. The heart is what? It's wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? You can't. It's deceptive. And so, you know, here 
He's making that clear. It's not about you and I loving ourselves. It's the actually, it really is the opposite of that. Verse 10, it says, love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And, and, he, and Paul's speaking of the Ten Commandments here. Remember, when God gave Moses the ten, ten Commandments, he gave it on what? Two tablets of stone, right? One tablet, for the most part, was dedicated to what? Loving God, right? And then the second tablet was, the focus was on what? Our relationship with other people. So the first tablet is loving God. The second tablet is loving other people. So Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he did what? He simplified everything. He, he broke it down into just two. He goes, because if you could do this, then you'd fulfill all the law, all 10 commandments you'd fulfill if you would just what? Love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, right? And then you would do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Paul is drawing out here. Because obviously, if you break the commandments of God, look at the 10 commandments. If you break any of the 10 commandments, what are you doing? You're hurting someone. You're hurting God or you're hurting other people. Let me ask you, does, does committing adultery, does that hurt somebody? Yeah. yeah. Does murdering, I mean, I guess that goes without, yeah. Hurts and it hurts their family, hurts people that, that survive. How about bearing false witness against people? Does that, does that hurt people? Yeah. Talking them down instead of talking them up. How about coveting their stuff? Does that hurt people? Yeah, because what does it give place to? Jealousy, envy, yeah. So you can just see, love does what? It, it doesn't harm other people. And that's why Jesus asked them, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And when they, they asked of Jesus, Jesus, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God. Love God and love people. You know, in, the, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule, right? He, he again, took all the law and the prophets. You know, the, at that time, you know, the Jews had 613 laws of Moses, okay? They took the Ten Commandments and blew them up into 613 laws. And Jesus says, you want to fulfill all the law and the prophets? He didn't say some of them. He said all of them. He said, whatever you want men to do to you, do to them. Whatever you want men to do to you, do to them. He broke it down. Love God. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, don't let people talk you into, that's three commandments. No, you got to love you and then love God and then love others or love God and then love yourself and then love other people. No, he said it's two things. Love God, love other people. Deny yourself. Like I said, scripture presupposes that we already have self-love. We see that in Ephesians chapter five, right? We teach on this all the time in relationship. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, right? What is he talking about there? When he goes on, he says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So we see that with regard to what Jesus did for the church. But then he flips it back to the analogy of a, of a husband and wife. He said, so husbands ought to love their own wives as what? Their own bodies. He who loves his wife does what? Loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So he's saying to husbands, he's going, husbands, you know what you need to see your wife as? An extension of yourself. Because if you'll do that, you'll take really good care of her because you love yourself. 
And you take really good care of yourself. And so if you, if you want to get love right, then look at it that way. She's just a part of you. And I, and I love that, that picture. Verse 11 goes on. It says in Romans 13, it says, This is the all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In some of your translations, it'll say, now is high time. So what that's saying is this is a strategic time. This is a critical time. And, you know, and, and I think about this. You know, we, we motivate people by sharing the imminent return of Jesus. That's what the, the Jesus revolution is all about. That's what the Left Behind movie is all about, is helping people, especially those in the church, not so much outside the church, because we're the ones with the message, that it would stir our hearts that we'd realize, hey, Jesus is coming back. You know, I put in my notes here, heaven isn't just our destination, it's also our motivation, right? That we're going to be going there. We wanna, the goal is take as many people as you can, you know, with you. And we should be expecting the imminent return of Jesus. We should be wanting it to happen. We should be watching for it to happen. We should be anticipating that it's going to happen. You think about the, the, those words, the return of the Lord. You know, Paul wrote to, to the church in Thessalonica. And what does he understand? There's nothing more purifying than knowing that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Think about that. Nothing is more purifying in our lives as believers on a day-to-day -day basis than knowing Jesus could come back at any moment. Because if we really live like that, would that change a lot of the things that we involve ourselves in? Absolutely. Think about this. First John chapter 3. If you want to take a look at that, turn in your Bible there with me real quick. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Look what John writes. He says, <clears throat> see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will all see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will do what? What does it say in your translation? Will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. That's what it does. Living in the last days, living in these end times should help us as the church to purify ourselves if our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not just a, a theological belief. It's, it's a motivating factor in our life, just as he is pure. You know, I think most of us, you know, learn this. I did as a very small child. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And sometimes, you know, my sisters would pick on me and my brother would pick on me. I was innocent. I just want you to know. But uh, when they would, you know, my mom would say to us kids, she'd say, what would she tell you if you had brothers and sisters or even just you? She would, Wait till what? Your father gets home. Did that ever straighten you up? Oh yeah, it did in our house because we had a hairbrush and I own it now. It's, it's out in our, our kids' playroom so I can show it to them. You know, never get to use it on them. You know, but, but man, my dad didn't have to use it a lot, but it was a hairbrush. It was about this long. It was oak on one side and had bristles on the other. But he didn't use the bristle then. That would have been comfortable. 
He used the flat oak side of that thing. And man, he'd have us, me and my brother, we had to drop our drawers and he did us right below your, you know, your rear end. It was like right on the fatty part of your leg. And there was never one, it was two. The first one wasn't so bad. It was the second one that got your attention. You know, I mean, man, it really lit you up. I told you my brother, you know, he would fake an asthma attack. As soon as I'd get the second one, he'd never even get one. You know, my mom, you don't, don't spank him, you know, every time. So I used to have, you know, vigilante justice when we got back to our bedroom because we shared a bedroom. Remember they had metal Tonka trucks back then? And I would always take the big dumpster, the big one. And we had bunk beds and I'd take it up on my bed and my brother, and he'd be down there, he'd laugh only for a minute. And then and I'd take that, wham! Right on him, and he'd start screaming, and my dad would walk in. You know what my dad would do? He goes, yeah, you deserved it. So he'd let me take the, the, I could take it out of my brother. My dad took it out on me, you know, and so it goes down from there. But I just know, you know, growing up, that there's a cleansing power with that, that the imminent return of your father. I mean, man, it, it, I mean, we were good the rest of the afternoon. I think my mom just started saying that all the time, just so she could have a break. You know, it wasn't even a real serious thing. Wait till your dad gets home. My sisters right away, they're compliant, right? They just go to their rooms, color, draw. You know, me and my brother would still, we figured it's like this. It's already going to happen. We're going to get it anyway. Might as well go down, you know, flame and, I mean, I don't know. But I, I love that. And you think about, you know, our salvation. I mean, it has three aspects to it. It has a past. It has a present it has a future. We've been saved, right? You know, and you think about this, you know, from the penalty of sin. And, and then in the, in the, you know, current sense, you think about it. Um, you know, we're being saved from sin's, you know, grip that, and the power that it has over our life. You know, we're being sanctified. That's what Paul's been teaching us in the book of Romans here. But when Jesus comes, we're going to be saved from what? The very presence of sin. What a day that's going to be, amen? You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 53 puts it like this. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. So our mortality has to put on immortality, right? It says our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. That day is still to come. I mean, you know, I, I share that almost weekly with people. You know, I'm praying with people that are hurting, they're suffering, they're dealing with illness, dealing with disease, just doing all kinds of stuff. And you go, hey, but you know what? The best is still yet to be, you know, for us. We, we can't lose sight of that. Yes, there's still something God's doing, you know, in all of our lives here and now. But you're never going to be more alive than the day that you stand before Jesus face to face. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. All things are going to be made new. And that God would give us that kind of faith. That, and that's the beauty of the imminent return of Christ because it puts all those things in order for us. And the early church, like I said, they believed that. I mean, in, all the time Paul's going, in these last days, in these last days, in these last days. I was talking with Aaron Perlman yesterday at the gym, and it was really interesting, our conversation, because um, I said something to him, and I talked about Jesus, and he goes, and he, he stopped me, and he goes, you know, Pastor Mike, he said, um, he goes, I'm finding, you know, in my conversations with believers that uh, Christians are moving away from using the name of Jesus, is that they'll say, like, you know, they'll, they'll talk about positive things, and powerful things and stuff. He goes, but you can see that there's a deliberate, he said, even on the radio, a deliberate attempt to remove the name of Jesus because that offends people. No, not taking into consideration that there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And there's no other name under heaven by which men can be healed or saved. 
And you think about that and you go, and yet we don't want to use that name. And, and, and as you know, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and it, it, there's no other name, right? I mean, God gave Jesus a name above all names that is the name of what? Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And man, I just hope that, you know, you never move away from that. Don't, don't, don't get caught up. With, oh, it's just love. You know, and that's what they'll talk about. They go, oh, we just need to love. And you go, well, what does 1 John 4 tell us? God is love. Jesus is, is love, what? Personified. You can't have more love than what you see in Christ. No greater love has any man than this than a man do what? Lay down his life for his friends. So if you're struggling in that area or you find yourself doing man, stop it. You know, do not ever forsake using Jesus' name. I mean, there is power in the name of Jesus. At some time later down the road, I'll tell you a story about um, Benny Hinn. I'm not a Benny Hinn fan at all. Not at all. And I was watching him one day years ago. And I was like, I mean, I was just mocking him as I was walking, watching him. But he said something that was so profound. It was one of those Balaam donkey experiences. That's all I can tell you. But I love, oh, wow. But it, but it was so profound, though, talking about how, you know, we have the privilege, like in the Old Testament, they'd say, you know, and, and the scriptures say, you know, and the, the prophets declare. It was always either future tense or this. He goes, but as the church, you know, today, he goes, we get to say, in the name of Jesus. And man, I, and I got chills. It was like, man, we forget that. You know, that they were all pointing to Jesus, right? And we have that name. We have that person. And then to think that the church today is we're, we're cowering from that and thinking, oh, that's not loving people because, you know, they, they have a bad perception, you know, Jesus. It's like, no, they have a bad perception of, of me and you. They don't have a bad perception of Christ. We need to let them see. You're not saved by following a man or a woman. You'll be saved by surrendering your heart to Jesus. That's who loves you and gave himself for you. Verse 12 goes on. It says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Paul was making a reference there to Roman soldiers. When they took their, their armor off at night, they had a, a certain you know, garb that they would put on. Uh, in the dark and then in the night in the morning when they awoke they would put their their armor back on so he's really making that allusion to their blankets and their coverings there but um hebrews 12 you know one and two it says therefore we also since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us looking unto jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. And so, you know, Paul uses the, a metaphor of an athlete. You know, he's talking about since we're surrounded by these, these witnesses, and you think about it in a, in a Roman game there. So here's Paul. He's in Corinth, right? We're in Greece, where, you know, the birth of the Olympics. I mean, they ran pretty much naked, you know, then through, I mean, you'd run real fast, wouldn't you, if you had to run naked, you know, through town? You know, then they put little leaves on them, you know, and stuff. And you and you think even the track suits they have now, they're all wind rated, right? I mean, it's like they call it second skin, right? If you ever watch cycling, I like my wife and I like cycling time trial. Same thing. They've got like a body suit on this thing is just like skin tight. There's no, there's no zipper even on the thing. I mean, how they get into it, I have no idea. 
You go, but man, it's just, it's about being aerodynamic there. And Paul's saying, that's how we need to live the Christian life. Cast off anything. And let me ask you this, you know, as we just prepare to close, we look at these last couple of verses. Is there anything today that you can think of in your life? Any habit, anything that you're participating in that's hindering you in running your own race before the Lord? As you look at this then today, you know, that the Lord would say, you know, you need to, and it's different for all of us. That's the beauty of it. Is there something you need to cast off today in your pursuit of Jesus? Is there something that's hindering you, you know, from running your race? I love what Skip Heitzig said. Uh, he quoted Wilbert Chapman. He said, and Wilbert Chapman, if you didn't know, he was a Presbyterian evangelist in the 19th century, died in like 1918. He says, uh, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult, it is wrong for me. And I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. It's pretty powerful. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And all things, are, though they're lawful, they don't always edify. You know, you could be participating in something today that when I shared that, you thought of something that you're doing, but you go, but it's legal. I didn't say, is it legal? I said, is it profitable? Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. I mean, abortion is legal in some places, you know, in this country. It'll never be right, no matter what someone says. But you go, we take it and we twist things, you know, for ourselves. Verse 13 goes on, it says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness. And then now Paul's going to list six items here. He says, in wild parties, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, promiscuity, immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. And again, he's saying, you know, we don't, don't continue to live in sin like we once did. It's not like, you know, that we're holier than now, but we definitely are holier than we used to be. Remember in Ephesians 5, 8, it says, and I love how Paul wrote this. He says, for you were once darkness. He doesn't say you once were in darkness. He says, you once were darkness. He says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Paul's saying, you know, the night is past. And so there in verse 13, like I said, he lists six sins. In the, in the New King James Version, you'll see the word revelry there. And it's people, in the original language, a, a, a person who was involved with revelry was a, actually a positive thing that you'd go with a team after they won and you'd make noise and celebrate as they would you know, travel back to their homeland. So you were the cheerleading party. And then it degenerated into a negative term. You know, it's like, you know, we go, anybody have a noisy neighbor? You don't have to, yeah, yeah. You know, well, you, you know what that is. So uh, you go, oh, they're a bunch of revelry. Yeah, that's what it's a noisy troublemaker. The second, you know, drunkenness, you know, in Paul's day, Epicureanism, you know, which was the, the pursuit of pleasure. There was many that believed that, that, you know, God didn't care about the flesh. So we just did whatever we want in our flesh. Just seek him in your spirit. We have the same thing today. People just, they just pursue pleasure. And, and Paul says, you know, drunkenness, you know, is that, uh, that, that's sinful. It's not, he didn't say it's not a sin to drink. Problem is most people that used, when it took one drink, uh, to make them you know, feel something, then it goes to two drinks, then it goes to three drinks, and then it goes to a bottle, 
Because why? Because we build up tolerances to it. And people then, the lie that everybody tells themselves is, I know what? I know the line. Isn't it funny when you, the, one of the first things they used to do when they would check for drunken, drunk driving is they did what? You had to walk the line. And you couldn't. The third thing we said was lewdness or licentiousness. He's talking about uh, sexual immorality. You know, the member in the church at Corinth, uh, the temple dedicated to, you know, Aphrodite's, you know, a thousand temple prostitutes would come down and seduce the men for money. And they would take that money and donate it to the church. Right. And that for them was, you know, the, their expression of their devotion to this sex goddess. You know, we see that in our own culture today or lust, you know, I mean, you think about, you know, Hollywood today, or even the music industry, lust, what the definition of lust is, is an open display of profanity or wickedness. I mean, they're flaunting it. They don't even care. You know, it used to have to be things that were hidden. Now it's just out, right? Just out in, out in the open. I mean, you can just hear little kids today. I mean, it's, it's sad. F-bomb here, F-bomb there. It's just like accepted, you know, in culture. It's just, it's just a word now. And you go, it's just out there. And you go, what are the days that we live in? <laughs> Last days, end times. This is what you'll see. Strife. You know, those the people that just aren't content. They're always striving, whether it's, position or prestige you know how to break that in your life is do all things as unto the lord and then the last one paul mentions and this isn't a an exhaustive list he's just naming some things here envy you know contentious rivalry or jealousy and we look at our world and that there's so much of that today and then what it leads to is the destruction of humanity it's the very opposite of love verse 14 then so he closes with this and so will we he says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. So he says, you know, put on Jesus Christ. You know, what's the goal of your life when you really think about it? You know what it should be for all of us? God forgive us. It should be to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Would you agree? That should be the goal as a Christian. Paul says, you know, Jesus for whom I, I labor that we would put on Christ every day, you know, in this battle that we would fight, you know, Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 17, you can read it, you know, put on the full armor of God and that we put this on. He walks through every piece of the armor, you know, put on the shoes, put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, put on the helmet of salvation, do all these things, you know, put on, put on, put on. Paul would write to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, he says, endure suffering along with me as a what? A good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. You know, and God has enlisted us into his army to do spiritual battle that we'll be indebted to until the day that, you know, we, we meet Jesus face to face. You know, the same way that we wouldn't ever consider, you know, going out, without getting dressed, you know, as the believer, may we from this day forward, you know, never consider going out without putting on the full armor of God. I, you know, I remind you as much as I can keep Jesus between you and everything else, make it a habit, you know, ask yourself, you know, every day, will this help me? What I'm about to do, will this help me love God? And will this help me love other people? And if you can answer in your heart that what you're doing every day that you go, Hey, this is helping me love God. And this is helping me love other people. You know, I'd say, go for it. Because when you do that, what? You're fulfilling all the law and the commandments. 
But the problem that we face in that is we look at our own heart. Like I said, you, I, I, I tell myself, you know, I, I can handle this. You know, I can, I can, I can do this. You know, you know, Jeremiah 17, nine says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And so Paul says, you know, when you identify what your youthful lusts are, what do you do? Flee them. Get away from, don't try to, oh, I'm going to get stronger so that I can handle it. It's like, no, flee temptation. And I'll leave you with this, the positive note. Philippians 4, you know, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I probably, if you've come in for counseling, I probably have taken you to this chapter probably more than any other single chapter in counseling anyway. Paul writes this in verse 9, he says, or verse 8, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, he says, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received, he said, from me. Everything that you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. You know, is that living in these last days, these end times, you know, that we don't owe anybody anything. If you get into debt, the key is get out of it as quick as you possibly can. But to know this, because of what Jesus has done for us, that we, we owe a debt that we cannot pay, but we'll seek to pay it the rest of eternity. And that is to do what? That is to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And you go, when we do that, you go, we, we are hitting home runs. We are doing the very things that Jesus has called us to do. Is it easy? No. Is it impossible? Yeah, by myself. But again, what did Paul say again? Philippians, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. Focus on Jesus. That's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your direction. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to love like you. Uh, Lord, we know that that love's inside of us uh, because as you said, love our neighbors as ourselves. We know what it is to love ourselves, And so we ask God that you'd give us that same kind of love for the people that we come in contact every day. That Lord, we wouldn't withhold when, as, as your word declares, you know, uh, uh, if it's in our possession, in our power to do right and to withhold it, you said to them that it's sin. There's so much good that we have an opportunity to do each and every day. But Lord, we have to break through our selfishness, our darkness, Lord. And so you remind us through the Apostle Paul that we're no longer children of, of dark, but we're children of light. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us afresh, even in this moment as we're praying, Lord, that you would mark out those things that, Lord, you already brought to our mind by your Spirit, things that we're allowing, things that we're dabbling in, sin that has got us all tangled up. And, and today you, you're saying, run the race that's before you. Let go of those things of the past and and lay hold of that which you laid hold of us. Forgetting the things which are behind and pressing on to the, the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so we do that today. We thank you for being the perfect model of what love is. And we pray that, Lord, you would pour out that love in our hearts. And, Lord, where, again, it's not just for people in our families. Like we'll say, oh, I love the people that, I, you know, that are my flesh and blood. And then for, forsake our neighbor. 
And yet, Lord, your word says that while we were still sinners, you loved us and you died for us. And so, God, change our hearts, knowing that, Lord, when you do that, Lord, everything about our lives changes too. We bless you. We do. We love you so much. And we look forward to being used by you this week, Lord. Help us to decrease, Lord, that you might increase, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.